welcome to today's space about life and social change in Central Asia. My name is Bermet Talant. I'm a journalist from Kyrgyzstan. And this conversation is hosted by Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty. A lot of the times that we hear about LGBTQ people in Central Asia, it's stories of pain, struggle, and violence. And perhaps not enough is being told about their resilience activism and diversity of their lived experiences. At the same time, the conditions for LGBTQ people and access to information about them vary across the region. In Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan, homosexuality is still a crime punished by a prison sentence. It is not against the law in Tajikistan, but LGBT people have no legal protections and are sometimes subjected to psychiatric treatment there. Gay people in those countries choose to move overseas if they can, or they live in secrecy at their own risk of exposure, or they live double lives. Voicing any support for them is dangerous too. In two other countries, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, the climate for LGBTQ people is less repressive. There are strong grassroots advocacy organizations. There are safe spaces where they can gather and socialize. And some openly speak out about their identities and rally for their rights. But social stigma, homophobia, and harassment are widespread in conservative, predominantly Muslim societies. I'm very excited to introduce our guests today. Amir Mukambetov was the head of community empowerment at the LGBT rights organization Kyrgyz Indigo. He's currently doing his master's in gender studies in the UK. And Sultana Kali is a transgender activist from Kazakhstan. We will also have a special appearance by Dastan Kasmamitov, also from Kyrgyzstan, who climbs mountains around the world with a rainbow flag. Before we continue, if you have a question or a comment, you can send a direct message to at RFERL or reply to a tweet pinned in the spaces. You can also indicate that you want to speak by pressing the button on your mobile app. Just make sure that your mic is working. Amir, thanks for taking your time to talk to us. Amir, are you with us? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, hi, thank you. Thank you for being uh, with us uh, today. Um, tell us about your journey. How, where did you start from and how did you, how did you start your work with Kyrgyz Indigo? Oh, hi, Bermit. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank that you are having me and organizing this wonderful space where we can uh, actually talk about uh, LGBT activism in Kyrgyzstan and talk about the lives of uh, queer people there. Uh, so uh, basically, um, I guess my activism starts uh, since from my childhood uh, because uh, uh, being um, as a effeminate boy in um, a rural place in Kyrgyzstan, it's um, uh, yeah. It's it's gives um, uh, with that it comes a lot of challenges as well. So uh, since my childhood, I had um, experience uh, bullying at the school, and then when I was growing up, I also end up studying in quiet uh, religious uh, university. So I had some challenges there when I was discriminated because I was different from others. And during my also um, uh, um, working life in different places, 
uh, also was challenging. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess that uh, all my life I had different types of uh, violence and discrimination. So that's why I always, um, I was like, you know, thinking why this world is so unfair and um, why people that so angry uh, because, just because you are different from them. And uh, so, yeah, so that's why I, I was always very sensitive to uh, to the un, uh, unjusticeness. Uh, so that's why, um, and one day actually I met some people, um, uh, some queer people, and they, they brought me to the um, uh, feminist organ organization and I met uh, some other beautiful um, activists there. And um, yeah, and this, this is how I start knowing that uh, actually Kyrgyzstan has some LGBT organizations there uh, because before that I had no idea that actually uh, LGBT organizations exist. Uh, even more, I was thinking that um, uh, why, why actually they, they need those uh, LGBT organizations because I guess I also was uh, the victim of the uh, propaganda uh, uh, of the uh, government that uh, the government doesn't, um, uh, um, I, I don't know, yeah, doesn't have to do anything to their citizens, uh, you know, and you have to like somehow survive yourself and protect yourself. So I, I truly believe it and, and on, on those ideas. So, um, but uh, meeting with um, activists, other queer activists, it's really gave me like uh, another point of uh, thinking. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so this is how I uh, met people. And later um, I saw some uh, vacancy there in, uh, in the organization, which called uh, Kyrgyz Indigo, one of the biggest LGBT organizations. So I applied and uh, I was accepted. Mm -hmm. and this is how I start working there. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when did you come out and was your, were your family and friends accepting? Uh, yeah, so, um, uh, so within, within my family, I, um, unfortunately, my parents passed away before I came out to them. I'm so sorry. Uh, but I have a brother and, um, yeah, he knows that I am uh, gay and also uh, work for LGBT organizations, but we somehow try to avoid, uh, you know, uh, talking about um, all these uh, LGBT issues because, yeah, he p prefers just stay and, um, you know, accept me just as a brother, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, we never talk about uh, activism and, and politics and, and mm -hmm. some other topics. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah. But I'm not out to my all my relatives because, yeah, I, I don't really see the uh, need for that. Um, yeah, and I'm out for my almost for all my friends, of course. And um, yeah, and I, I try to um, uh, be also visible within the platforms like uh, like this and talk mm -hmm. and you know because I think it's really important that. Uh, people should know that um, LGBT people in Kyrgyzstan actually exist. Mm -hmm. So 
we know that Kyrgyz society is very conservative and patriarchal. But in recent decades, there's been a rise in nationalist populism in Kyrgyz politics, as well as a wide societal shift towards Islam. And uh, we've heard um, homophobic rhetoric of traditional Kyrgyz values and attacks on uh, members of LGBT communities in the country. As a Kyrgyz man who identifies as a queer Muslim, and you said that you studied in a religious institution, how does that make you feel? Um, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting question. Um, but uh, I think that just just being um, uh, a person who is different from others, from the majority in Kyrgyzstan, it's already challenging. So uh, um, yeah, it's it's not easy, of course, but uh, but uh, I wouldn't say that that's not possible uh, living in Kyrgyzstan. So, um, yeah, um, what I could say about this, I think the, uh, so being, uh, being in, in, in the activism, somehow I realized that I actually have, um, uh, I was surrounded by other queer people and uh, maybe sometimes I, I have this feeling that I am living in, um, like my queer bubble, yeah, but the, the world outside of the bubble, of course, it was different. Um, yeah, so this is how I actually uh, created a safe space uh, for myself. But um, there are so many people who actually cannot uh, have that uh, privilege living in, in this kind of uh, safe spaces, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, mm -hmm. I think. I think so, um, you, you I have think, worked. Yeah. You you have worked with Kyrgyz Indigo for eight years, I believe. Um, yeah. Over those years, have you noticed if public attitudes have changed? Yeah. Um, um, so the the this question is quite. Yeah, kind of tricky because we don't really have any statistics. Uh, so that's why I cannot, um, yeah, I cannot state that there were some changes maybe, yeah. But what I can just say... Just your personal observations. Uh, yeah, Do you think there is more acceptance yeah. and tolerance in the society or at least in parts yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah. So the, so I, uh, in, in this case, I think I can only um, uh, share with my um, observations. So what I really think that within the um, uh, Kyrgyz society, I don't really see um, um, kind of uh, uh, very big uh, hatred uh, towards LGBT people because uh, we, uh, we know that in Kyrgyz um, society, I mean, in, in Kyrgyz history, uh, there are uh, some words exist which actually means queer people, mm -hmm. right? Like yes. Kumsa, for yes. example, and some, some other. So it means that uh, queer people always exist within the history. Uh, and uh, um, yeah, so that's why I never felt, especially from uh, since my childhood, I never felt any hatred from uh, adult people. Um, it was most mostly from from my uh, peers, like I mean the other uh, other childs also uh, mm -hmm. who actually bullied me. But 
But um, when I, when I, for example, when uh, some people, uh, my my mother's friends or some uh, some other adult people uh, first met me, the the what they um, maximum could say that 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 I was like. Oh, how this uh, uh, tidy boy, you know? Uh, maybe he have uh, uh, he have been born as a girl or something like that. So that was the only thing what what they could say. Uh, but I, I never experienced any hatred uh, from them. So this is actually uh, makes me, makes me think that the society in general they are like kind of neutral for for these topics. It's like more more i think it's more um uh, taboo than than uh hate mm-hmm. uh but what i can really uh, say that um i think uh people who in power they have changed it and they have changed their attitude and also their uh approach um uh towards lgbt people so you, because, so you're saying uh, so do you mean that the topic is being exploited by politicians and other political yeah, actors exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly yeah especially especially after uh 2013 and 14 uh so in 2014 we we had um this um uh, situation when when Human Rights Watch, um, they, are, uh, they presented their um, report uh, about um, uh, um, law enforcement representatives' uh, uh, violence towards other gay and bisexual men. Mm-hmm. So uh, since then, uh, actually, how um, government uh, or people in power, they start... Yeah, exploding this uh, topic and using, politicizing it and mm-hmm. using against, you know, like, I don't know, to um, distract the attention um, from real problems, like, I don't know, economical, or yeah. political or social problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say that it's, it's more um, uh, the um, LGBT topic, it's more politicized. And uh, this is how it's uh, we, we the LGBT people actually experience hatred in our country be- because mm-hmm. of the um, uh, yeah because mm-hmm. of this exploitation. How has the Kyrgyz LGBT movement itself evolved over the years? Um, uh, yeah, so this is a good question. Um, how it evolved? So actually, I think we have achieved many, many uh, things. Uh, first of all, we became, I think, the, since, as I just said, that in since uh, 2014, LGBT people uh, became like more visible. So, mm-hmm. uh, which is like, um, I, I personally think it's good. Because uh, if you are not visible, it means you are just doesn't exist, right? So mm-hmm. it was the rhetoric of for many years uh, when um, actually LGBT people were not visible. So that's why um, people in power, they were keep saying that um, like Kyrgyz never can be gay or something like that, you know? So, but now they... Um, they admit that LGBT people exist, and moreover, they they start using it as a as a tool. So um, 
Yeah, but uh, if we go back to our achievement, um, yeah, so the, uh, we reached the visibility and secondly, we became like more, um, uh, so, so uh, yeah, we have a solidarity which in, within the LGBT organizations and the movement. Um, and also we have some achievements uh, within the uh, other, um, um, I don't know, civil, civil society organizations, because before they were also quite homophobic and transphobic. Uh, so now, like, at least, like, most of the, the these NGOs, they support LGBT issues and topics mm-hmm. and people, um, and, and uh, when with, when we talked yeah. last time, um, you mentioned that um, there was an internal shift away from victimhood. Um, so you're trying to, as a movement, you're also trying to celebrate achievements and some positive aspects. Could you talk about that, please? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so victimhood means that uh, that that you are uh, lack of agency and you are um, like a weak person and you always will be in this position of uh, victimness, right? So, but, but uh, if we see in our um, movement, that's not really true because we, we are strong, we, we have many achievements, uh, we are visible and we can stood up for our rights. Um, this is what, what, what we can see uh, within this uh, one, uh, at least one decade, um, because there were many try um, to initiate a discrimination law, uh, which, which never was, uh, uh, which never happened mm-hmm. uh, because, because, because of the civil society and of course the, because of the LGBT movement. Um, also, uh, we have a good relationship uh, with some of the government uh, ministries, like, I don't know, the Ministry of Health and Ministry of um, uh, Inter-Affairs as well. Um, in terms of Ministry of Health, we, we have done many work in, in, in terms of uh, um, uh, HIV issues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for example, in terms of uh, Minister of Interior Affairs, we actually created some uh, curriculums for cadets of um, um, Police Academy uh, ab- about how to uh, negotiate or how to uh, have a relationship when they within their work uh, with LGBT uh, people, for example. Um, yeah, and, and also we have good relationship with ombudsman. They, they always uh, try to include um, uh, LGBT issues for their annual uh, reports. Wonderful. Um, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, Amir, I will have to get back to you a bit later because we have a second speaker. Uh, but yeah, sure. just a quick reminder that if you'd like to ask a question or a comment, you can send a direct message to at RFERL or reply to a tweet pinned in this space. Or you can indicate that you want to speak up by pressing the button in, um, in Twitter spaces on your mobile app. 
Our second guest is Sultana Kali, an amazing transgender activist from Kazakhstan. Sultana, thanks for being with us today. Hello, hello. Hi, Hi. thank you for having me. Sultana, so what kind of work do you do with and for trans community in Kazakhstan? Well, first of all, let me thank uh, you and all of, uh, you know, the members who's listening right now for your time and attention. Um, yeah, again, my name is Sultana Kali. I am a trans activist. Um, I was volunteering for Trans Initiative, the only trans initiative in Kazakhstan, uh, Almaty since 2015, uh, I were coordinating our community center for LGBTQNA plus community in Astana, near Sultan currently. Uh, we're organizing our support groups for trans people in Almaty. Uh, we're also working as a transgender consultant and then as a research assistant and then as a junior research associate in a global health research center of Central Asia with the support of Columbia University and also documenting in cases of uh, discrimination and human rights violation here in Kazakhstan with uh, you know particular focus on trans people and also um, I'm a representative of um, the trans community in country coordinating committee uh which uh that focuses on epidemiological situation mostly like mm -hmm. hiv amongst let's say um mm -hmm. under population groups so, so yeah. um what do I, I would like to start with your personal story um what was your experience of transitioning like and how did you find your community Sure. Um, well, you know, uh, I think as um, most of us, we, I mean, well, not most of us, but a lot of the activists that I know uh, were finding a community and like started their activism, actually, when they needed help first, like when they started to, they wanted to help themselves uh, with, you know, transition or yeah so and this is how this is how I started actually um I reached out for the help and then I found the initiative and then suddenly um for reasons unknown to me I kind of um you know we continued the journey together and uh of course I've been uh, yeah uh kind of I guess um, very uh yeah sorry um <laughs> i'm going to direction uh yeah i guess as a trans kid in in the northern kazakhstan and kazakhstan is like a pretty large country um i didn't know what to do i didn't know um uh, how to be and what is going on with me what, was there and, was there anyone you could talk to about what was happening with you to well, know friends no. parents teachers well, I, I did have, you know, friends, of course, but uh, again, um, they didn't, nor do I had like any information about, you know, transitioning and mm -hmm. what is, how to deal with that. And I'm just a teenager who's like, don't even know anything about it. So, and I just had internet and, you know, we, we, um, I was just um, monitoring some forums uh, where trans people were discussing their issues um, in a very, I would say, stereotypical manner, like a very, you know, um, 
I, I would say like binary approach to that, but still that was like better than nothing at all. And, and I'm really grateful for that um, experience. Uh, so yeah, it was really, um, I don't really want to focus particularly, you know, on, on the journey and mm -hmm. on, on my personal story. And because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that all of our, you know, all of the members and listeners understand that um, it's really hard to be, you know, um, LGBTQ plus uh, person in Central Asia yeah. because you know we don't have anti-discriminations law. We don't have, um, uh, you know, we we mostly invisible to our government, and you know, so yeah, mm -hmm. this this uh, it was pretty hard, yeah. but you know, that was actually my next question. So in the West, the political debate revolves around bathrooms and transgender athletes. And obviously in Central Asia, we're not there yet. We're not at that level. What trans issues are on the agenda in Kazakhstan? Well, um, I think that, you know, those trans people who's uh, seeking to change their gender on official documents, um, they're facing, you know, a lot of problems because they must first, because the uh, trans people are still... Uh, pathologized in in um and it, in Kazakhstan and it means what and it means that you must first go to a psychiatric institution's mental disorders department mm -hmm. um where you can when you you're being kept for 30 days at least um then you are examined by a commission for the medical certification of you know uh persons with sexual identification disorders uh this is how they you know still describing trans people now uh, according to of course um um oh my god the the um uh, uh who's um it's a classification uh, of classification of diseases yes uh mm -hmm. so because we're still using the the 10th version not 11th where you know uh trans people are not uh, you know um mentally ill mm -hmm. <laughs> anymore uh, so so they're still using like an, an outdated classification where um being transgender still listed well, as they, being a mental illness they do they do have um they have a right to do that because they have at least i think like they they must uh fully transition to like 11th version within the 10 years i presume if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. so rights to still like do that <laughs> for a okay. while um, until they you know implement a new uh, mechanism so a person um, needs to spend 30 yeah, yeah. days in a mental health in mental institution what's yeah, next yeah. Uh, then they're being examined again by a commission. Uh, and then um, it is like um, composed with like three psychiatrists, not a medical, a medical specialist. Um, and during this process, uh, you know, patients may face, again, unethical treatment, verbal, emotional abuse, harm to their health due to inappropriate treatments or intentional refusal to uh, provide medical care. Um, um, and I think it's like for many reasons, like maybe like basic human misunderstanding, of course, transphobia. Um, and, and then um, one of um, the human rights violations, actually, that we have um, is um, you, you, you like the final stage of, of um, 
this commission is not it's not um just you know be, being uh treated and like observed by by the medical specialist they also also giving you approval for um hormonal therapy and then they giving you if they're giving you approval for uh surgery um mm -hmm. and here's the problem because uh, you know to 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 have the documents you know to have to finally get your id to change your id or passport you you can you can do that only after having uh gender confirming surgery mm -hmm. which you know, includes sterilization um and you know and only after that person may apply for a change in their official documents mm -hmm. um so i suppose and... there are a lot of trans people who leave without updated id documents because the procedure is just grueling of course of course and it's, again i'm repeating myself but um it violates our basic basic human rights you know that no one shall be subjected to torture or cruel inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment so yeah and and, and this you know regulation um really you know violates your basic human rights which is um again cruel as you said um and of course we're trying to you know to communicate and to actually um sort of share the experiences you know with like other countries where you know surgeries are not necessary for you know your id your like document changing because um there's also um, a lot of um, barriers to, to do that because, again, not all trans people want to have surgeries, not all trans people want to have uh, HRT, hormone replacement therapy. So, yeah, that's um, one of the biggest issues. And because uh, people can't afford surgery, can't afford, you know, spending 30 days in psychiatric institution um, and as a consequence can't, you know, get their documents you know um they can't really uh work as themselves as you know they're, they're facing a lot of struggles within very any social area when you need you know any um services uh, service employment yes. yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so w what do you tell um transgender youth um who just came out and don't find support in their families? Oh, well, I mean, it's really, it's really hard. Um, I think, of course, it, it is very important to have friends. It is very important to have someone close to you. As you, as you mentioned in the beginning, um, like, did you, did, you asked me, did, did I have, you know, any, like, family members who's, like, supporting me or, like, any friends? And I think friends uh, are important in this, like, people who's, or maybe it could be, like, teachers, it could be, like, any other, you know, um, person who's got some, yeah, who, who, who gives you this sense of, you know, um, it's like, fulfilling this need for acceptance and, uh, you know, um, yeah, so... I, I I would say you may try to find um, communities uh, online or you know within in, in your country within your area. Um, I think it's 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 possible at least to have someone 
on the internet who understands you and mm -hmm. kind of give because I remember being a trans teen and in my personal experience that was um that was very helpful you know sharing um just yeah sharing feelings stories uh getting to know each other mm -hmm. um so yeah that was very helpful so I think finding a community is like one of the first um um you know steps I think that you can take to in in this journey to you know kind of help yourself and if if you unfortunately don't have support at home or you don't have friends who's supporting you like finding your communities like i think it's the key actually mm -hmm. to, to situation um yeah what, what do you wish your fellow citizens um most of them who are most most of whom are cisgender understood about transgender people like you well, actually, I think it's not just a trans issue. I think I would love to people in general be aware that um, we are all humans. And despite all of our differences and our kind of prejudice towards each other and, you know, the I guess, like, being aware of, you know, the tribalism within us that still resides within us, uh, within, like, every community and within, like, every living, breathing human being, still understand that we can coexist peacefully um, and kind of, you know, have, even if we have different views we you know still can find a common ground and you know allow ourselves to be true to ourselves and others to be you know uh true to themselves and the way they see fit it's beautifully so. said thank you sultana thank you um, I would like to bring in Dastan. Dastan, hi, join us, please. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, so I've known Dastan for over a decade since the time he was still in the closet. And to me, the most striking part of his coming out was that he went on national television and spoke about his sexuality in the Kyrgyz language. What year was that, Dastan? And um, why was it important to you? Um, it was, I don't remember, it was a long time ago, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, the decision was um, made because uh, Human Rights Watch was uh, doing that uh, report about the uh, police vi violence against gay and bisexual men in Kyrgyzstan, and they were actually looking for um, uh, people, like from victims, who will be able to talk in public and share so to say, their, uh, their, their story. And um, they found some, but for them, um, yeah, it was crucial that there is also um, ethnically Kyrgyz people mm -hmm. um, to uh, telling about um, his or her story because, um, well, um, because of the dynamics yeah, this, um, around the um, uh, Kyrgyz ethnicity. Yeah? So, as Amir already mentioned um, before, that uh, politicians were telling basically that there are no gay people among Kyrgyz, or it's something like Western, or and so on. So that's why, um, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it was quite important uh, to to come out um, as ethnically Kyrgyz back then. Mm -hmm. So you you now run a campaign called Pink Summits. Tell us about it. 
Exactly. So I was um, doing uh, quite a lot of uh, activist things, like in a traditional sense, uh, and um, meaning uh, advocacy work, um, uh, work also with law enforcement officers, um, uh, things like that. But um, and also working with media, but I felt it's not enough for our movement. And I felt like, um, yeah, we basically focus a lot on uh, the problems we have, which is actually like the truth, like the true lives of us. It reflects the lives of us full of violence and hate and discrimination. But despite all of this, I wanted to show that we as uh, communities can um, achieve something, can do cool things. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, and that's how I uh, came to the idea of uh, Pink Summits. Uh, so we are um, uh, queer mountaineers, uh, and we're trying to currently to ascend the highest mountains of each continent uh, um, with. Um, um, yeah, LGBT symbols, of course. Uh, and um, we've done um, several mountains already uh, from that list, including um, Elbrus, for instance, it's the highest mountain of Europe and Russia uh, in, in the Caucasus. And you probably can imagine how um, difficult the situation is with LGBT uh, down mm -hmm. there. And um, yeah, so it, it, it's symbolic. It's um, yeah, it was uh, very important for me also to wave rainbow flag in the most homophobic part of uh, homophobic Russia, so to say. Yeah, and but we are not doing only those high mountains. Uh, we are doing a lot of other things, rock climbing. This year we are going to Kyrgyzstan again to conquer um, Peak Leipzig, which is very close to Peak Lenin. Um, and uh, we'll organize also this year together with the LGBT organization, Kyrgyz Ligo, a rock climbing workshop for beginners near uh, Bishkek. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you, Dastan. Uh, we have Thanks. a question from a listener. And Sultana, I think you'll be the best to answer it. Um, the question is, in the U.S., LGBTQ rights have widespread support, but the trans issue is very divisive. How do public attitudes towards trans people differ from attitudes towards gay and lesbian people in Central Asia? Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> um, in the U.S., LGBTQ rights have widespread support, but the trans issue is very divisive. How do mm -hmm. public attitudes towards trans people differ from attitudes towards gay and lesbian people in Central Asia? Well, I think um, in Central Asia, well, particularly, again, it's my subjective view. Um, uh, here in Kazakhstan, we kind of um, on the same place. Like, of course, uh, mm, being gay or lesbian is more understandable than being bisexual or trans person uh for you know um i guess it it's 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 uh yeah it, it's just it's just easier to understand for people uh and 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 maybe this is why uh people tend to have more you know 
sometimes more again that is a subjective view like more prejudice towards like trans people and bisexual people uh then but but still we we all again we all in uh in the same plate so to speak so it's 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 not like um you know um some you know members of our community like gays or lesbians like benefiting uh you know from i don't know like having some kind of advantage over you know mm-hmm. trans people in, in uh in terms of like um you know again like uh, sort of uh acceptance from from uh, mm-hmm. uh citizens or the government yeah so i think we are when we are presenting, you know, negatively in, 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 you know, social media or we, we like, we present it like as one, as, as one community. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think, again, in my personal opinion, there's no such thing. Like, I, I, I think that there's the difference. Like, we, we don't have uh, that here yet, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yes. Um, okay, if um, we don't have any more questions, um, I think we're going to wrap up this conversation. It's been fascinating. Um, thank you very much to all our speakers. Um, thanks to listeners for joining this Twitter Spaces today and to RFERL for hosting it. If you have any feedback or suggestions for topics, you can DM me or RFERL. And happy Pride Month. <laughs>